Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and practice leaders, hosted by Cheryl Toth and Mike Sakopoulos, and produced by Green Branch Publishing. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of our Midsummer Podcast. Today, we're sharing our secrets for turning good hires into great employees. Ooh, there's a intriguing topic, Tothy. And look, something that all of our listeners can relate, relate to, right? Absolutely. I think whether you're in solo or group practice, employed by a hospital, or if you're in a health system, you have to hire people, right? You know, sure. Leaders do that. Managers do that. Yep. So, And once you hire people, if you want them to perform and be productive and not quit, you've got to make sure you acclimate them to the organization and pro- provide the support and the training they need to succeed. Sure. But, you know, I think that at least what I see, Tothi, a lot of smaller practices skip some of that. Hospitals are a bit better because they have, look, they have a team. They've got some resources. Mm-hmm. They can pull an orientation plan together. But as far as these smaller practices, it's not really an excuse um, <clears throat> for doing a poor job and not grooming their new hires. Would you agree? I agree because if, if you don't, if you don't support them and groom them, they're going to quit and turnover is very expensive. So, um, well, and, and that, that's one of the things that we're going to talk about, I think, today is that this, this planning and helping get a new employee on board does not have to be an expensive or time-consuming endeavor. That's right, Mike. Yep. And I think so often practice leaders and, and administrators are so busy moving so fast, they haven't really thought about some of these secrets we're going to cover today. And some of them are not expensive, not time-consuming, fairly straightforward. Um, but let's face it, I mean, everybody's spending so much time hiring these days. You know, you figure the networking, the ad you write, the resume review. I mean, gosh, I'm talking to people these days. They're getting hundreds of res- resumes they have to sort through. Um, then it's the interviewing and the skills tests. And then, you know, that person finally hits your front door to start their new job. It's like, oh, phew, no, you know, that's over. Now I could get back to building the budget for next year, or working on the marketing plan. And then they just skip the whole rest oh, of yeah. it. <laughs> no, the, the, the line that I, I like to hear from people is, well, we finally got someone they're showing up next Tuesday. Now I can get back to my job. You, you just know right then and there, things exactly. are not going to go well long term for that new person, right? Yes, yes. So they, but you know, we've got to figure out how to make the time to cultivate those skills, groom people, um, because if you don't, then you're on that hamster wheel again, hiring, reviewing resumes. It's like Groundhog Day. Yeah, a- absolutely. Okay. They do not, um, employees do not come fully formed out of Zeus's head like Athena. Exactly. They're going to take a little bit of work. So that's <laughs> what we're like going to talk about box. how to do it. They're not out of the box software. Right? <laughs> out of the box software. Right. Yeah, and we're covering the spectrum from mythology to uh, present day. Nice. There you go. And I just okay. want to make one more point here about it, which is, you know, a, a data point because unfortunately, this idea of the hamster wheel and people turning over, it's not, um, the data around it isn't such a pretty picture for managers because the Work Institute Retention Report, which comes out every year, this year it includes data for more than 250,000 employees, you know, from surveys, exit interview stats, I mean, tens of thousands of exit interview statistics, shows that the top three reasons employees leave are actually related to and could be avoided by the manager. Uh-oh. Wow. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. That's, dun, dun, dun. That's a big data set, right? Quarter of a million. Yeah. Um, so, look, I'm extraordinarily interested to hear about what managers are doing wrong. Um, and the more specific examples, the more entertaining it will be. But before <laughs> we get there, 
I would like to build up a little anticipation and go right for one of my favorite parts of the show, word of the show. All right, so let's build up a little anticipation over those secrets by first starting in with word of the show. Okay, I think that's a deliciously deviant idea, Mike. And oh, I'm a deviant. Okay. I, <laughs> and I have to tell you, I have a really great word of the show for you. And I've been excited about it since I happened across it last week. I was doing something totally different and I found this word. All right, now, now I'm even more, uh, even more hooked on this, uh, Tothi. It's nice to hear that you are as, uh, as, as nerdy as I am. So what do you have for me? Well, okay, I was reading this story last week about Alexander Hamilton, you know, one of the founding fathers oh, yeah. of our country. And apparently he created several words back in the day that we still use today. I guess you could say he was a bit of a founding word father as much as a founding father. Oh, no. nice, nice. Ooh, I okay. Know, no, um, I, I like that. <laughs> so here's the word. It's receivable, defined as really? a waiting receipt for payment. So how about that? I mean, such an important word and important part of our listeners' uh, daily uh, world, which is right. accounts receivable. And um, it was coined by Alexander Hamilton, who's also, known, who's also the father of our modern banking system. First Secretary of the Treasury, all yep. around uh, interesting um, guy. Yep. I'm a bit more of a Hamilton, uh, a bit more of a Aaron Burr fan myself. But look, Hamilton was a was a great guy, and this is very very interesting that the word receivable um, comes from Alexander uh, Hamilton. Uh, well, uh, well played on this one, uh, Tothi. Nice, yeah, and did nice you word. did you catch my clever pun for this financial architect? I said that he coined the word. Did you catch it? Oh, it was not lost. It was not <laughs> lost upon me, my friend. Well, uh, well, well done. Uh, All right. <clears throat> so on with, uh, on with it. N nice job there, Tothi. I think that we should move right into our top three reasons for why employees are pulling out of Dodge. Why are they leaving us? Top three reasons in just a minute. Okay, Tothi, lay it on us. What did the Workplace Institute study show the top reasons people quit? What, what were those top reasons? The top three are career development, work-life balance, and manager behavior. So career Ooh. development, 22% leave for that reason, 12% for work-life balance, and 11% for manager behavior, totaling 45% of things that managers can impact that could improve retention rates and decrease expensive turnover. I think all of these can be avoided in, to a certain extent. And that's why we're going to talk about these secrets for developing great employees. Excellent. All right. So we're going to have some secrets that will help us with uh, managers. Uh, what, what looks to be a clear failure on the part of lots of managers out there, given the size of the study and those, uh, those numbers. So let's start with the beginning. You just <clears throat> spent time an effort, finding, interviewing, hiring, going through some, let's face it, probably some really miserable uh, interviews of people you didn't want, but you sorted through. And now you have the person you think, Eureka, finally got the right person. What's the first thing managers should think about when that new employee uh, shows up for work? Well, this sounds incredibly simplistic, almost like a no-brainer, but it is tell them what you expect. You've got to start with that. I'm constantly amazed at how many 
practice employees specifically I've spoken with who they may have been there even a couple of years and they really don't know exactly what their job is or what's expected of them or what the physicians or manager want from them. Of course, they show up, they do something, they do what they think is best, but telling folks what you expect of them from the get-go can't be skipped. I mean, they're not going to learn from the Vulcan mind meld, (laughs) right? Like Spock used to do with his (laughs) hand on what he wanted to learn from. Um, So here's what I suggest. You've got to have a job description. You've got to have the employee manual and not just hand it to them, but, you know, walk through the important things, have a conversation about it. I think too, setting expectations around the culture, the brand, what's your mission. I mean, larger organizations will do that. I think hospitals will have, you know, bring people into a training room and at least give them that piece in mm-hmm. physician organizations, less so. So th- th- those are some really good documents to start with. And it requires some conversations too. So they should talk with some of the physicians, hear from the physician who's, physicians who've been there for a long time. What are their expectations of their team in terms of patient care, in terms of uh, how they want to um, have them perform in the workplace? So right. it's a combination yeah. of things. Well, when you lay it out that way, Tothi, I must admit it, it does seem um, rather obvious. But then I'm reminded of some of the experiences that I've had when talking to uh, practice administrators, one of whom, when raised the issue about expectation, the expectation was, well, these people have to figure it out for themselves, sink or swim. That's not the type of expectation that you are um, shooting for here, is it? No, that's the kind of expectation setting that will result in the quitting. You know, mm. people are not going to stay within that. You, you've actually reminded me of somebody. This was a, a gentleman. It was a big um, allergy group, multiple sites. And the culture there was terrible. I mean, everybody was afraid to, to say anything. Nobody spoke up. They just, you know, showed up for work. And it was very you know, they hated change. They, it was just, ugh, it was toxic. I would say it was toxic. And that administrator said to me and my associate that the employees didn't need to know anything unless they had to. Everything was a need to know basis. Why should they have meetings? Why should he email them anything? And I just thought, you know, you create a culture like that, you know, right? you deserve Wait, turnover. <laughs> next room. Yeah. What the okay. You yeah. Know, no, there so, are people like that. So. Yeah. This is exactly what we don't want to do. So when you talk about tell, tell people what you expect, it's more like the Ritz-Carlton mission and culture and their brand is we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. That's their famous mission Fair forever. Enough. And their whole uh, brand awareness and training are all around that. So people know that that's the feel of working at Ritz-Carlton. So whatever your feel is, that's what you've got to communicate to, to folks um, to do that. And, and I say the last thing before we move on to secret number two is setting context for people. So letting them know that you don't expect them. This takes so much pressure off people. Let them know you don't expect them to know everything in two weeks or 30 days or even three months. I mean, they're going to know a lot, but you got to have some checkpoints for them to realize that they don't have to you know, be stressed out that you're going to expect them to be perfect in the first month. Yep. Good, good point. I always try to tell people, I know any new job, it doesn't matter 
what it is. If it's complex or, or incredibly simple, if it's new, it's stressful and it's going to take a little bit of time to get, get used to. And we all understand that. So exactly. that takes off uh, some pressure, but let's move on now. Secret number two, which I think is something most practice managers and healthcare leaders know, but again, not always done. And that's formalized orientation and training. Right, you are. This is, the. I think the operative word here is formalize. So training can't be, hi, Jan, glad you're hired now for our front desk. Susie's going to show you how the computer works. That's not training, right? So it's got to be a plan of two, th- and two things. These are two separate things. People sometimes lump them together. There's orientation and there's training. And this is kind of HR management 101. You can't skip it. And I think that hospitals and health systems often have a pretty good handle on the orientation part in particular because they've got an HR staff and they put something together. Um, But you don't have to spend gobs of hours and time on it. We're talking about a checklist for orientation beyond just here's your computer credentials and your keys. And um, so, you know, we can talk a little bit about what's on that checklist. Oh, nothing warms my heart like a checklist. You know how <laughs> compliance guys like myself, you know, be still my heart. Yes. Okay, but this is this is what, what we're going to hear, right? So, and you you know that I'm, I'm not making this up, being devil's advocate. Here's what's going to happen. People are going to say, ooh, that's going to take a lot of time. I don't have any time. That's how I hired a new person. And then there's all this cost associated to this. So tell me. How do we get around these arguments? How can practices uh, handle this? Maybe start with the smaller, easier thing first, which would be the orientation plan. And I would make that a checklist since it's near and dear to your heart. And uh, I think that's a big missed opportunity right now. So this is what will acclimate people to your culture and brand and get them get their feet wet Um, more than just how to check in a patient or how to follow up on an account or how to room a patient. Um, So things I put in the checklist, read everything you can about the practice, Uh, hand them brochures, get them on the website, have them shadow the doctor uh, for a day, have them um, meet with the physicians. I mentioned that before, lunch with the manager. This would be a consistent checklist that everyone follows to really get a sense of what the practice and the physicians are about. Heck, have them sit in the reception area for half a day, two days in the first week to just really see how things, how things work. So you might want to check with your specialty society. You could, you could contact the hospital. Actually, if you're a group practice, they might have a sample that you can use as just sort of a concept and customize one on your own. Oh, and remember, it's not plagiarism when you have permission. So that's the way to uh, do it. Um, get get some good information and go off of go off of that. I like that. Yeah, and right. let me just close on this with the training sure. plan. I won't belabor it, but um, this doesn't have to be a huge project, and it doesn't have to be all on the manager. I would start simply. I would in a next staff meeting ask each of the key staff um, at the front desk, in the billing office, in the clinic to write down what are the top five things that a new person in their role would need to learn how to do. And write those down, kind of put those together, and then start building instructions for each of those and have the employees do that. Now, the manager may still have to go through and edit, 
um, maybe there's a this is a great opportunity for improvement in how uh, training is and, and how efficient the training is and how efficiently we do things, but it's a great start. It's kind of like a lot of people do that, I think, with job description development. Um, give the, have the, each person in the uh, practice write down what they do, and that's a great start so that the manager doesn't have to guess or do all the work. So it's a great, oh, and last thing I'll say is, you know, the Society for Human Resources Management, low cost to be a member, they have all kinds of templates for training plans and things and ideas on how to develop them. So that should get, get things started, okay. but it's important. So very, very practical, low cost um, ideas for something that's important. Well done on those uh, first two secrets, Tothi. But now we're moving on to number three. Can you tell me what it is? Yes, that would be assigning a buddy. I'm big on the buddy system. This is that person who helps new people understand what's going on between the lines, what's not really on the written documents. And we, we talked about this in a couple episodes ago. Do you remember what this buddy thing was all about? I, I, I do, and I, I like the buddy, but I have to admit, um, and this I, you know, is, is a little bit embarrassing, but when you bring up buddy, all I can think of is uh, scuba diving, where you got to have a scuba buddy, and you know, in case somebody's tank goes out or whatever. Um, maybe it's because I've, I've spent too much time watching Shark Week uh, lately. But yes, I, I know about the, the buddy plan, and I think it is a great idea. Yeah, well, just as a quick refresher, and if folks haven't listened to that episode, what you do is you take an employee who's, you know, able to mentor people, who's respected by the physicians, by the manager, by the staff, who's, you know, loyal, has good interpersonal skills, and understands the role of the person who's been hired. And so you might have a couple of these buddies, depending on the different roles and different departments you have, and you assign them these folks and they really take them under their wing. You know, they, they give them the, like I said, the between the lines information about the culture of the place, about how decisions are made. Um, you know, they take them out to lunch and they make sure that maybe they go out for happy hour once a month or something for the first couple months. They just, they make sure that the person feels comfortable and they act as a go-to person for getting questions answered. That, that's the more informal stuff because as we both know, that's really how stuff gets done. It's, you know, the job description's great. The training plan's great. Everything, all the written materials are good things, but it's often the unwritten rules as, uh, that are how things truly work in an organization. Ab absolutely. And it seems to me that that um, also a little personality um, matching might be good in the buddy system too, right? You know, the new hire and, and who on the staff is going to match up nicely personality-wise uh, with, the, with the new hire. Exactly. As far as uh, creating a, uh, a buddy or, or a pal for them. Yeah, and I have a, I have a client in implementing this right now. Um, and the administrator told me recently that when he asked uh, a particular person at the front desk if she would be a buddy for the patient services team, she was really honored. So I think that's also something important to remember is when you put together a system like this, you're not only grooming your good hires to be great employees, but you're further solidifying trust and the relationship and the loyalty of the people who get to be the buddies. Oh, well said. And who amongst us could not use a new buddy? All right. Now, <laughs> I think that it's a, a, this is a good point. Let's, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to continue with our secrets for turning good hires into all-star, fantastic, super-duper employees. We're back. And... <clears throat> 
we're on to secret number four. Tothi, I love this one because I think a lot of folks overlook it. Don't throw too much at them too fast. Yes. And this one speaks to balance versus burnout. Remember, that is why 12% of people quit. It's uh, the number two reason people leave, this, this work-life balance. And it speaks to training. If people don't feel trained or prepared, they, they can't keep consuming more new information. And you mentioned earlier the sink or swim mentality in a lot of healthcare practices uh, yeah. and hospital departments. Oh my gosh, it's just rampant, right? So sure. it's no wonder people get frustrated and quit or they just can't be productive. You have to set expectations, of course, that yes, they're going to keep learning things, but remember the learning curve. You know, people, people don't learn everything all at once. It's again, all these reasons why you set expectations and you make sure that um, people learn in bites. Okay. So how would you handle this one, Tothi? Because somebody shows up at the, um, at the, at the practice, let's admit it. There's, there's a lot to learn. How are we going to do it? Yeah, well, think back to secret number one, which was tell them what you expect. And I mentioned, you know, 30, 60, 90-day, one-year marks. You have to check in with people as they learn, and you've you've let them know that you're not going to expect, you know, kind of what you're going to expect at each of those milestone dates. So you check back in. So make sure they've acquired the right skills before moving forward. It doesn't have to be a written competency assessment. I mean, it could be, but I have practices who do, like the CEO of a large practice I work with recently told me, you know, we have our managers um, do a weekly check-in verbal, a verbal quiz when people are learning, like especially in that first month and first couple months. They, They have a verbal quiz to make sure people understand what they're doing. And they say, you know, what, these are the next batch of things that you're going to be learning. How do you feel about that? And, and they just check in with people. So it's more about monitoring. You can see people's body language. You have to keep your training plan on track, but just know that some, for some people, things do come up. Maybe they had a family emergency. Maybe there was sure. an additional change in the practice. Just make sure that you're on an even pace and the learning is on an even pace too. So and, the nice thing about this, though, right, Tothi, is is that you you can't you can't do this unless you have a good plan in place, right? You're talking about what are we doing at this stage, that stage, the next stage. That all means that people have to have a a, a game plan in place before they get started, which is what I really like about this. Is it it forces it on the uh, on the back end to do a nice job. Exactly. And speaking of this whole idea about checking in with people, secret number five is recognize people's efforts and say thank you oh so my mother was right never forget to say uh thank you when someone has uh, has done something uh for us right that that is exactly right i mean i cannot tell you how many times in conversations and interviews with practice staff especially the frontline staff um they say that they just don't feel appreciated. And even more interesting, just the way so many physician organizations are set up with the clinic and the administrative offices being separate. And I think it's worse in a hospital, right? Because you've got the the management services organization in the basement often or in a whole other building is that um, the staff are very disconnected from the physicians. I was working with an orthopedic group in California and they were saying how they, they sometimes don't see the doctors for weeks. Because the doctors come in the back door, which goes into the clinic, and their offices are back there. So, mm-hmm. you know, they don't feel like 
the doctors know what they do or why, and nobody ever says thank you. So all it takes is those two words. I mean, I don't want to belabor this point. It is just simple, a thank you. I mean, one surgeon I work with, she was, um, I think she felt horrible when I reported that the staff felt that she didn't think they were doing a good job because she thought they were doing a great job. And all she did was make the change of every day, just trying to get out to the front at least once to say hello and tell them thanks for their hard work. Um, I have other administrators who will do gift cards um, after they, after the staff reach goals. Uh, I had another one recently send me a photograph of there was, she just had to merge three small practices into one into the ambulatory surgery center. And she said it was like they finished climbing a mountain. So she literally, she loves to bake. She made a mountain cake. I mean, she said, <laughs> that's a cool idea. Two feet tall. And she put all these little, she took some kind of little doll figures and she customized each one to one of the people in the practice, like their hair color or whatever. I mean, she went all out. Oh, she is way more crafty than I am. <laughs> it was but, crazy. But, but nice. I mean, that, that's, that's a very, uh, very nice thing to do. Yeah. And she it, put them all up the mountain. You know, everybody's up there. So, you know, there's a lot of these different things. You can just buy one balloon at Safeway or whatever and tie it to somebody's chair, you know, or leave a note. Yeah, very very nice. It, so, it, it reminds me of a number of years ago, we had a relatively new employee and, and uh, it would have been, it had been a tough day. And at the end of the day, I said, Hey, thanks a lot. This has been a hard day. Really appreciate it. And, and I was shocked because the response was, nobody's ever said that to me. And I said, here? And she said, no. And then where have I worked? Has anybody ever said that to me at the end wow. of the day? And I thought, wow. Um, that was, you know, it was uh, a, a big reaction for something that took seven seconds of my time. You so. are, you just summarized it perfectly. And for those who are looking for, you know, a ways to do this and to incorporate praise and recognition. There was a recent article in the Journal of Medical Practice Management all about this, how to create a culture of praise and recognition. And we'll put it in the show notes. Um, but, you know, it talks about how it's got to be an essential ingredient of people management. And, and the most important thing is that it's got to be sincere, which just in your little story there, I can tell it would just, just float out of your mouth, right? You're just like, hey, I really appreciate that. So that's really good. Things flow out. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're not. You know, you win some, lose some. All right, Tothi, in, in great reference to the, to the Journal of Medical Practice Management, because people should be um, checking that out. But we, we want to keep moving here. And I'm on to number six. Tell me about uh, secret number six. Number six is about feedback. Don't wait to give it. So you've got to do it early and often with people, especially new people. Interesting. Okay. Tell me why that is. Well, um, people can't wait for 90 days or a year, for goodness sakes, a year. I think it's time to kill the performance appraisal, appraisal honestly. I mean, um, you know, people want, you look at data, and especially people under 40 want more frequent feedback, shorter feedback, and almost more like in a coaching style, not you did that, I mean, not that managers say you did it wrong, but there's a way that you can give feedback that's more positive and build on people's strengths. And I think with new employees as you're, or new hires, as you're building those into the great employee who's going to stay longer term, you want to focus on what the latest brain science shows, which is if you give feedback about something people do well, and then teach them something to, to enhance that or go even further, they learn better, they grow faster. So I guess the key here is 
you want to have shorter five, I mean, once a week, you maybe twice a week, shorter, two minutes, three minutes, five minutes. And it's more like a coaching session type of a feedback. And so you're giving it to them on the fly, informally, your newer employees will really appreciate that. And, and it can, can foster their growth much faster than waiting for that, you know, performance well, appraisal I, I, by 90 think, day. Yeah, I think that makes all the sense in the world. One, you don't want, if there's something not right, you don't want it to fester for months on, on end. But the other thing gets back to uh, one of the earlier secrets was not to do too much at, at any one given time, right? And so yes. by breaking it up, we, we're, we're not at the end of the year giving this long laundry list of uh, personal and uh, professional failures of someone's part to try to correct. Exactly. So. And, and, and to close off on this one, remember that in the first couple months, three, four months of an employee's tenure, you want to be growing them primarily growing them and growing those skills. So capitalizing on what they're doing well and then pushing the envelope there and, the, you know, enhancing those skills. That's really the ticket to uh, engaging them. All right, Tothi, we've, we've made it to lucky number seven. What's your, uh, what's your secret number seven for us? The last secret is to give them ownership early. Give your new hires ownership early. Give them a project. Delegate something that needs to come off your plate that you really shouldn't be spending your time on because you have bigger fish to fry, right? And you've got to spend some deeper time on, on the budget. Um, so, you know, when you do this, can you guess what this what message this sends to the new employees when you assign important projects or pass on a key task? Well, certainly it promotes an atmosphere of trust, right? Because you're now entrusting them with some task that needs to be done. Exactly. It makes them feel like you trust them, that success is dependent on them and their actions, which, which steps up their level of responsibility. Um, people who like to, who have a growth mindset will say, oh, wow, I get to try something new. And, you know, it gives people a sense of that you value them and their contribution. All good things. Absolutely. So giving people meaningful work is important uh, to making them feel valued, right? I mean, that the work matches what, um, what you think of, of them. So I've seen it go a long way towards building loyalty and developing the employee's skills. Absolutely. It's a great point to end on, really, uh, because it has to do with trust. And at the end of the day, trust is a critical factor in organizations that have great employees. So true. It's the foundation for building great teams and creating a positive culture and producing results. Well done, Tothi. I like the, uh, the seven, seven secrets. They all seem doable and none of them are ghastly expensive. That is true. And with that, we are complete for this episode of Sound Practice. Excellent. Thank you for Excellent. listening, everyone. And I hope you'll try out some of those secrets for turning good hires into great employees. If you really like the show, please tell your colleagues and we'd really appreciate it also if you could rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Ooh, yeah, please do that. Or if you'd like to give us feedback directly or make a suggestion about the podcast, please feel free to email us at feedback at soundpracticepodcast.com. And please join us for our next episode. Don't forget, we release one every other Wednesday. Bada bing, bada boom. Bada bing, bada boom. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and practice leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. 
If you have any suggestions about future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at Green Branch Publishing. For the best in practice management, journals, books, newsletters, and on-demand programming for physicians and practice executives, visit greenbranch.com. Robin, Red Kapow.